Amen. Well, we are going to take a one more uh, week break from our Good News series. I am excited to get back to that. In fact, next Sunday, Holiday Sunday, Godfrey Thorogood will be speaking and talking about the good news and our character. So we'll be looking forward to that. Today, we're going to talk about the subject of men and women in the church. Um, I am going to do a synopsis of a document that you can find online. If you um, are part of the church and you know how to get into the members portal, then you can go down to the bottom here and click on that policies and guidelines button, and you will find a four-page document that uh, describes what I'm going to be talking about today. The first three pages provide a theological framework for what we believe here at Wallenstein, and then the final page gives more of the practical application of it. So uh, nothing dramatic has changed here at Wallenstein in terms of our views on men and women in the church. Um, In the last six months, the elders have brought some clarity in our own minds to how we want to apply this. Uh, So it's it's very, very similar to what it's been, but we just wanted to take a Sunday to teach through this subject and that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to begin by framing our conversation with two views that we don't hold here at Wallenstein, but they kind of help frame the two sides of the argument, uh, which can help steer us, I think, in the right direction. So the first view that I'm going to mention this morning is a view that's called egalitarian. Uh, and the, the egalitarian view simply means that there's no functional difference between men and women in any aspect of church life. Um, Those churches that would hold to this view would point to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, which says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God. There's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this view would say, since in Christ we are all one, there's no difference between male and female, then in the church there's no difference in the roles of men and women. Men and women can equally hold any role, including leadership roles in the church. The second, um, the second view is this view, which I'm going to call the patriarchal view. And this view says that leadership and ministry in the church are male-dominated. And in this view, you might point to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, which says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, what's interesting is the same author wrote the two verses that I've just showed you. The one from Galatians 3, this one from 1 Timothy 2, both written by the Apostle Paul, uh, both coming from that apostolic authority. So what do we do with this? I mean, this issue, this topic is a lot like so many topics in the Bible, which are very broad. When the Bible speaks of an issue, it speaks very broadly on that issue. And so we struggle as human beings to to capture the full sense of what the Bible teaches, or say it this way, the full sense of God's mind on this. That shouldn't surprise us because God is so much bigger and wiser than we are. In fact, Isaiah says that, God says through the prophet Isaiah that his ways are so much higher than our ways as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so it's no surprise that in the Bible, we sometimes struggle to grasp the full immensity of certain topics, things like the sovereignty of God, or how could Jesus be fully human and fully divine? 
And I would argue that this topic is a little bit like that. And so consequently, what we do is we come to the Bible and we see one aspect. It's like I show you this picture and I say, look at this picture, look at the clouds, look at the blue sky, this is, this is it. This is the most beautiful thing that we need to see from Scripture. Others might look at this picture and say, no, no, it's the green meadow, it's, it's the green grass, it's the rolling hills. You could even see some cattle there if you look closely in the picture. And others say, no, no, it's the important piece here is the ocean and the rocky shoreline and the waves. I mean, this is where the real thing lies. And others say, no, no, it's the ruins, it's the, it's the castle, this is the, this is the highlight, this is the most important part. And the reality is, that all of these pieces make one picture. And it is our human tendency to fixate on one aspect of biblical truth when the reality is there is this panorama of truth on so many topics in the Bible. And I would argue this topic of men and women, male and female, is like that. And our task today, uh, and every day in which we're studying the Bible, is to seek to see the whole panorama. To be able to be honest with ourselves that we will tend to fixate and gravitate toward one aspect of the picture and we will struggle to see the whole. But if we really want to be keen Bible students, it's not enough for us to say, look at the castle, it's the castle, it's the castle, and ignore the rest of what Scripture teaches on the subject. Do you hear me? This is the crucial thing that we have to remember when it comes to studying a view, a, a, a topic like this in the Bible. So what I'm going to do for a few minutes is show you some of the problems with those two frameworks that I've given you already. There's the egalitarian view, which says there's really no difference, no functional difference between men and women in the church, and then that patriarchal view, which is that men will dominate the ministry of the church. So we'll begin with the problems with the egalitarian view, and when I say problems, I'm, I'm pointing out biblical problems from a biblical perspective these are the problems with that view. So here's the first one. Scriptures that point to male leadership in the church must be ignored or dismissed. Now, I'm sure there's no one in this room who would take scissors to your Bible and cut out certain verses that you don't like. Hopefully you haven't done that. But sometimes we do this functionally. Certain aspects, certain, certain teachings that we struggle with, we struggle to understand or embrace, and we simply ignore them or we dismiss them. We, we find a way to, to, to talk them out of our understanding. And that is a real danger for us. This is God's word. All of these verses are God's word. So for example, Paul again in describing the elders of the church says that they should be faithful to their wife. Or in many versions they should be the husband of one wife. That's a qualification for church leadership which would suggest to us he's speaking of men, male leadership. Or the verse we've already seen from 1 Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Or from 1 Corinthians 14, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission. Now, I, I know, I, I'm the guy up here reading these verses. I know how politically incorrect it is to publicly even show verses like this. It's not easy, and yet this is God's word. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, we have to understand this is the book Jesus left us. We may not understand all of it, we may not like all of it, but we have no other book. 
And if we lay it upon ourselves to decide which parts of Jesus' book we'll accept and which parts we won't, we are on shaky ground indeed. God's word says this, that all scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3. Peter writes, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus quoted this verse from Deuteronomy 8, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It is crucial for us to be honest Bible students we've met here in a place called Wallenstein Bible Chapel we are Bible people we take this seriously we cannot take scissors to the Bible so even in verses like the ones I previously showed you the previous screen where there's stuff that's hard for us to grasp or accept we have to hear these verses and remember that every word that God has placed in his word is there for a reason Are there cultural differences between now and when those words were written? Of course there are. Scripture tells us, of course, that we should greet each other with a holy kiss. Nobody's done that for me yet today. But don't bother. It's okay. Now, what do we do? with? Have we just decided to cut that out of the Bible? No, actually, we shouldn't. We need to understand that when Paul and Peter... And the New Testament writers, they actually say this multiple times in the Bible, greet one another with a holy kiss. There is a timeless principle that we need to hold on to in that verse. The timeless principle is that the love of God's people should be so real and so deep and so tangible that when someone comes into the midst of God's family, his church, they should be able to see it and even feel the reality of the love in that place. So, culturally, it, it, it would actually violate the very principle that God is teaching us if, if some of us started kissing. If I kissed your wife this morning, you wouldn't feel very loved. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't feel, one place it says, a holy kiss. You wouldn't say, that's not a holy kiss. So, there's a, there's a cultural implementation that matters, but there is a timeless principle behind it that we can't let go of. We have to find a way to obey that scripture in a way that's appropriate for us in our culture. So I realize there's a dynamic here, but but that's the point. Every word of God is God's word. We live by every word. And so even when there's a cultural challenge to the application of God's word, there's still a principle that we must not let go of. So we believe this applies when it comes to those teachings about male leadership in the church there's a principle here that we don't want to cut out of our bibles secondly problem with the egalitarian view the reasons given for the distinction between men and women are theological not cultural so we've just acknowledged that there's cultural differences between our time and the time when paul wrote uh, much of the new testament but we have to reckon with this that the reasons that Paul gave for these teachings about men and women in the church are rooted in theology. See, what the egalitarian view does is it says that's just cultural, and it's simply dismissed. In a sense, it is rubbed and removed from the Bible on the grounds that it's simply cultural. There's nothing there for us today. But let's be honest with the way Scripture teaches these principles and how it roots them in theology. 
So let me show you how this happens. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read these words, the head of the woman is man. That's one of those phrases that culturally we might want to erase from our Bibles, but then notice the very next phrase. The head of Christ is God. In other words, the relationship between men and women and the idea that, uh, that men will lead in the home and in the church is rooted in the relationship between Jesus and God, Jesus and his Father. Now let's, let's celebrate this in the sense that Christ is equally God. He's as much God as the Father is, just as the Spirit is as much God as the Father. There is a full equality there is a valuing and honoring of one another. Each member of the Trinity functions and, and, and produces in terms of creation and redemption. Each member of the Trinity is active. And yet there is this truth here, this timeless principle, where, where God is the head of Christ. We remember, of course, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with what he was about to suffer and praying to God and saying, is there any other way? And in the end, there was no other way. And so what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. He was submitting to the authority of his Father. In another place in the Gospels, Jesus just flat out said, my Father is greater than I. There was a full equality between Jesus and God. Paul could write in Philippians, it was not robbery for Jesus to claim to be God. And yet he submitted to his father in that unique relationship. So the relationship between men and women is rooted in the relationship between Christ and God. Another well-known scripture comes in Ephesians 5. This one's speaking more specifically to men and women in a marriage, in a home. The husband is the head of the wife. Notice, as Christ is the head of the church. Paul is using marriage as an analogy of the truth of the relationship between Jesus and his people. But again, we see that that human relationship is rooted in theology. And one more, 1 Timothy 2.13, where Paul is addressing men and women. Again, he says, Adam was formed first, then Eve. This is creation order. So much of what we understand about God and about humanity is rooted in creation and of course he's referring here to something that happened before the curse before sin before the fall so the relationship between men and women and the dynamics of men and women are rooted not in culture but in theology and we'll come back to this point in a few moments let me show you some problems with the patriarchal view number one is this the fullest picture of God's image comes from male and female together I alluded to this earlier when I first came up and we talked about Mother's Day and we talked about how God in his nature has motherly attributes. God has revealed himself as father and yet we know from scripture that he's not actually male or female. He's not human. And so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Look at Genesis 1.27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them Male and female, he created them. Both men and women are created in the image of God. If you're a single man or a single woman, you are a full expression of the image of God. God has placed his image upon you as a human being. You are his image bearer. 
And yet we often sometimes joke, sometimes serious, when we talk about how different men and women are. Right? We, we sometimes joke about this, husbands and wives. There was a book written many years ago, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Because we can't figure each other out. Because we're so different. Our culture is trying to minimize the differences between men and women, but we all know they're real. Especially if you're married. They're real. So how can men and women who, as two different sexes, genders, are so different and yet fully represent the image of God as human beings? And the answer is that the, the fullest expression of the image of God comes when you put a man and a woman together or men and women together in one family, one church. I often think about this with my kids. Lord willing, your kids and my kids, if you're a part, from a Christian family, have seen more of God because they've had a mom and a dad in their home. Now, if, if you're a single parent, single mom, single dad, your kids get to see God through you. But God's design is, is his first design is, is for our kids to have a mom and a dad. And why is that? Because they see aspects of God's character in their mom that they don't see in their dad. I don't know how many times when I've uh, thought as a dad, it's time to put the hammer down, I need to deal with one of my kids, and Diane either catches me before or she comes after and says, now, have you thought about this? And brings a gentleness and an understanding that I don't naturally have, me. That's not true of every man. Some of you are probably more sensitive and thoughtful than I am, guys. But I am so glad to have a woman by my side who is able to temper who I am as a man. And I think, I think Diane might admit that there's times when my perspective as a father, as a man, has been helpful for her as a parent. This is so true in the church as well. As people come into the church, they need to see God not just in men, but in women, in female as well, because God has planted and placed his image not just upon men, but upon women. So the fullest picture of God's image comes from male and female together. If you're in a church that's patriarchal, that completely mutes the participation of women, then you're missing out on that beautiful picture. Genesis 2, God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. When I do premarriage counseling, we always look at this verse and I turn to the, to the uh, fiance, uh, the young woman, and say, how does it feel to you to be called a helper? God speaks of you as the wife, as the helper. Because naturally for us, as we read this, it might seem like, well, that's, that seems a little condescending. But what you got to remember, first of all, what does it say here? It's not good for the man to be alone. Guys, let's just be honest. Let's face the facts that when God made man, he didn't stop there because it wasn't good yet. <laughs> now, ladies, I know you, you love to point, maybe some of you have thought about this and you, you love to point this out to your husband. If, if God would have made the woman first, <laughs> would there have ever been a man? Well, I believe... I believe there would have been because male and female are complementary, right? She was going to be a helper suitable for him. I, in, I imply from this that it goes both ways. And by the way, uh, 
men and ladies. The word helper here is the same word that God attributes to himself when he speaks of his relationship with Israel and calls himself, I am the helper of Israel. So there's nothing condescending about this word helper, and what we find here in this relationship is God's intention for, for, for complementary genders, for a man and a woman to help one another, to complement one another, two pieces of the puzzle fitting together. Number two, second problem with the patriarchal view is to simply look at the way that Jesus spoke to, included, and honored women in his ministry. Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago in a society and culture that was very patriarchal, not so much as the Old Testament would have been in, in Greek or Roman culture, but still very patriarchal, where women were viewed more as their husband's property than as another human being. Jesus lived and did his ministry during that time in that culture, and yet again and again we see him speaking to, welcoming, honoring women. You remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus sat down and had a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. She couldn't believe it. When his disciples came back, they couldn't believe it. When women wanted to come to Jesus and bring their children to him, the disciples said, no, he doesn't have time for you and your kids. And Jesus was indignant and he welcomed the women to come and bring their children. Luke chapter 10, we find Mary. Jesus and his disciples come into the home of Mary and Martha their brother Lazarus, and we remember the story, Martha's busy making the meal, but Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to him. This was a position of a disciple, of a learner. And as Mary came and sat at the Lord's feet, he didn't tell her to move. He didn't say, no, that's Peter's place or John's place. He welcomed her as a learner, as a disciple, and she was there listening to what he taught. Luke chapter 8, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The twelve were with him and also some women. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Jesus welcoming women to be with him in his ministry as he traveled from place to place and literally placing himself humbly under their care as they provided for him in his ministry. Mark 16, when Jesus rose, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Have you ever thought about this? When Jesus rose from the dead, who did he appear to first? The women. We could debate why that is, but it just is. And in fact, it wasn't just that he first appeared to the women. He first appeared to the women, and then he gave them the commission, the job, of going and telling the twelve. Can you imagine what that would have been like for Peter, James, and John to have these women show up and say, hey, we've seen Jesus, he's alive. And we know later that Jesus would rebuke his apostles because they didn't believe the women, which was totally common in those days to not respect or believe the word of a woman, but nevertheless, Jesus first appeared to the woman and told the women to go and tell his disciples that he had rose from the dead. We see that in Matthew 28. This job was given to the women, tell the disciples. He's risen from the dead. We could give many other examples, but that's just the simple truth that Jesus welcomed and honored women in his ministry. Number three, women were active in the early church and honored by the apostles. Again, we could 
point to many scriptures here. Let me show you a few. When Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. It's often been pointed out, well pointed out, and not just by women, that when Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned together, Priscilla's name comes first almost every time. Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, who were serving God together, who hosted church in their home. Notice what Paul says about them in Romans chapter 6. Again, naming Priscilla first and calling them his co-workers in Christ Jesus. Romans 16, 12, Paul, again, if you, in fact, if you want to read a chapter that names a number of women who were serving the Lord, just read Romans 16. 28 names mentioned, many of them women, including this verse, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. The sense I get as I read these descriptions of these women is not that they were simply providing childcare and making meals. The sense I get is that they were very active in God's work in telling people about Jesus, in helping others follow Christ as disciples. Then in Philippians chapter 4, there were two women named there, Euodia and Syntyche, who apparently weren't getting along well. And listen to what Paul says, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. He's talking here about women who he has served. And notice, he is not ashamed to say, shoulder to shoulder, side by side, Paul has served and done the work of missions and the work of ministry in the church with women. This is such an important point for us to acknowledge and recognize. And remember, the culture in which Paul was writing, in which women were not being valued in this way. Finally, number four, all believers have been gifted to serve Christ and his church. Not just men, but women too. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, I have not given an exhaustive description. If you want to go and find that document I mentioned earlier, you can get a fuller description, a biblical theological description of these views. The view that we would hold to, commonly known in the Christian world, is the complementarian view. And essentially, the complementarian view upholds a distinction between men and women in the church with male leadership and vibrant participation of all. We do not want to mute or, or, or smother our women from being involved in church ministry, but we certainly want to uphold the distinction, the biblical distinction that we find in God's word between men and women in the church, including this idea of male leadership. Many churches in our day hold to this view, but what's challenging is the way that each church practice, practices complementarianism can be quite varied. You can have two churches that would, that would nod and agree through everything I've said today. They come to the complementarian view and they would say, yes, that's what we believe. But then you go to those churches and you see how they actually live out that complementarianism in, ter in terms of how they do church leadership and what are women doing and not doing and, and who's on the platform and who's speaking publicly and all of those kinds of things and it can look very different. 
Same theology, believing the same truths, but applying it in slightly different ways in different church contexts, and that is why there is a need to show grace to one another in this area. In fact, the same is true of those first two positions that I mentioned to you, egalitarianism and the patriarchal position. I actually have good Christian friends in both of those views and positions. And it doesn't take anything away from the, from the fact that I know that they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that they are followers of Jesus. I disagree with their position. But we need to show grace in this area. This is not a uh, life and death gospel truth aspect of scripture, although it is certainly very important. But even in the application of this, which I'm gonna share our specific application here at uh, WBC now, and some of you will, will hear that and say, well, I agree with that, but not with that. It, it's just inevitable. But nevertheless, the elders have to come to decisions which are based on the teaching of God's word. Um, and I wanna show you those things now. Complementarian view at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. This is taken directly from the document that I referenced earlier. This is from that fourth page which gives the practice here. So number one, complementarianism at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. Qualified men will serve as elders while inviting the input and participation of godly men and women as they lead and shepherd the church family. So if you go to the church website, if you want to find out who are the elders of the church, you will only find men there. Men uh, taking the responsibility, the authority of this church, we understand that is a biblical principle. However, we also recognize that our women have much to offer. In fact, this has already been happening. Uh, Pastor Wayne has multiple women that he works closely with in providing pastoral care. Not surprisingly, because many of the people who, uh, who need pastoral care are women or younger women. And these women are doing a fantastic job at serving as shepherds for women in the church. So we're really grateful for that. One of the questions that we ask now at the end of every elders meeting is, is there a topic that we've discussed tonight in which we should go and ask some women their opinion? And that's just built into our, our minutes. That's built into our agenda every week now. Is there something we're talking about that we need to ask some women about to get their perspective? Women have a unique perspective and a helpful one. And so we don't want to lead this church without giving that thought and, giving, uh, and receiving input from godly women, even though as men, as elders, we are responsible to lead this church. Secondly, qualified men and women will serve as deacons and Thrive Team members. So at Wallenstein Bible Chapel, we have deacons and we have a Thrive Team that function side by side. And here we are saying that we will have both men and women serving on these teams. We will have a man who serves as a team leader for both our deacons and Thrive Team. Both teams will endeavor to have mixed representation of men and women. I wanna show you one of the biblical reasons why we would do it this way, and that is in 1 Timothy 3, where we have the biblical qualifications for a deacon, same chapter shows the qualifications for an elder, but here when it shows the qualifications for the deacon, it provides qualifications for women. We don't know if this word was intended to be the wives of the deacons or women who work with the deacons, but nevertheless, the, the assumption, the expectation is, that women will be part of that ministry. 
And that's why there are these qualifications given for women as well. Interestingly, no such qualifications for women are given when it comes to the elders, but they are given when it comes to the deacons. So here at Wallenstein Bible Chapel, we uh, would like to see both men and women serving as deacons. Uh, the word deacon means servant, and the first woman, the first person who's mentioned in Romans chapter 16 that I mentioned earlier is a woman named Phoebe, who Paul calls a servant in the church in Centria. Some believe it's literally meaning to call her a deacon or deaconess in that case. Number three, qualified men will provide the preaching of the word when the whole church gathers. So you will see women on the platform on Sunday mornings doing various things, but when it comes to the preaching of the word, as I'm doing now, uh, this will be either one of the elders or a qualified man uh, that will provide this ministry to us as a church when the whole church has gathered together. An elder or other qualified man will act as service leader for our public worship gatherings. Other than the preaching and service leading, both men and women may participate in any aspect of public worship, including the planning of it, under the direction and delegation of the elders. So in the last number of months, you may have noticed that for the most part, it's one of the elders who comes up, provides a welcome, an introduction of some kind to the whole church. Often, almost always, it will be one of the elders who closes the service in prayer and gives a final word or a final greeting. Um, so that's what we're suggesting here. An elder or qualified man will provide that service leading, but we would like to see both men and women participating in, in all other aspects of public worship. So you uh, have seen women give announcements here. You've seen women give testimony here. You've seen women pray publicly here. And we would like to see that be a vibrant part of our public worship. Next, other than when the whole church gathers, both men and women may teach or provide training for specific groups. So when the whole church gathers on Sunday morning, the preaching will be done by a man. But in small groups, smaller groups within the church, we are allowing women to participate in teaching or providing training. So if you were part of the How to Study the Bible course last fall or the Spiritual Disciplines course, along with myself and Dan Shell, uh, we've had other women uh, participating in teaching those courses. Next, both men and women may lead any ministry team under the direction and delegation of the elders with men leading teams that are exclusively for men and women leading teams that are exclusively for women. This isn't a new thing at Wallenstein. Uh, someone like Julissa provides tremendous leadership for our children's ministry, which includes uh, both men and women uh, serving under her leadership. Um, and so we, we want to see that as a vibrant part of our church life as well. Let me close with this, reminding you that our vision for Wallenstein Bible Chapel is to be all for Christ. What I want us to see is that as we serve in the church, as we function, either as men or women in the church, we want to and we get to be a reflection, a resemblance of Jesus. This is what his desire is, that as the church gathers and as we function, that people would see Jesus in us in the ways that we serve. And that is true for both men and women. So let me say it this way. When men are servant leaders in the church, they resemble Christ, our selfless king. Notice here, though, I've said servant leaders. If men 
take leadership in the church in an authoritarian kind of way, in a way that suppresses women and others, in a way that it's not humble and teachable, they're actually not reflecting Jesus. But when men lead as servant leaders, humble, teachable, sacrificial, giving of themselves for the good of others, then we see Jesus in them. And when women serve under male leadership in the church, they resemble Christ who submitted to his Father for our sake. Both men and women have the opportunity to be the reflection of Jesus. When I was a kid, I loved to play road hockey, northern Ontario, summer, winter, fall, spring, didn't matter. And when my buddies and I got together to play road hockey, we would always say who we are. Never the Leafs. It was the Oilers. I wanted, I wanted to be Wayne Gretzky. Or if I was a net, I was going to be Ron Hextall. You know how old I am now. And you realize that as followers of Jesus, this is our great privilege that every one of us get to put our hand up and say, can I be Jesus? In my relationship with you, can, can I be Jesus? I'll be Jesus, you be me. Let me show you what it looks like the love of Jesus looks like. Let me show you what his humble sacrifice looks like. Both men and women in the church under the complementarian position get to model this. And not just men, not just in leadership. In fact, before Paul in chapter 5 of Ephesians talks about husbands and wives and submission and all of those things, the first thing he says in verse 21 is all of you submit to one another under Christ. So whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're old, whether you're young, we all come to the church family as servants, ready to say, how may I serve you? And as we serve, we put Jesus on display. If you have any questions about this, please feel free to speak to any of our elders. Find that document online. We're happy to continue the discussion. I'm going to close in prayer, actually, and then we're going to have the music team come and lead us in one final song. But let's... Let's bow in prayer together as we conclude our service. Lord, we are grateful for the word of God. I pray, Lord, that we would be a family, a church family that is submissive to your word with hearts that want to know you and know what you say and obey. Forgive us, Lord, for times when we have tried to trim concepts or truths or principles out of your word. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to be people who are absolutely faithful to your word. Help us, Lord, to understand it and to apply it well. And I pray that that would be true in this area. Lord, you know the elders of this church have worked hard to come up with an application that we believe is representative of of the whole panorama of your word on this issue. We want to be faithful to you, Lord. So would you help us to do that moving forward? Help us, Lord, to be faithful. I pray that we would be a church that represents male and female in the ways that you have taught and chosen. But I also pray, Lord, that as people look on and see us functioning as a family, they would see the vibrant faith, not just of men, but of women. A love for Jesus, not just of our men, but of our women. Participation and service and, and worship from every member of this church family, Lord, so that you would be honored and glorified, so that your church would be built up, so that the world would see the reality of your presence among us. Help us, Lord.
to be more like Jesus. We want to glorify him and represent him well. Would you help us to do this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.